Welcome back to the third episode of this podcast called Crime and the Science Behind It All. If you are new here, I'm very excited to welcome you to this amazing podcast where we talk in depth of many different kinds of crime cases and how they were solved or if they still remain a mystery. My name is Mar Metz and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm located in Ohio and the date is Monday, December 13th, 2021. I hope you all are having a great week and then have a great weekend as well. So today we are going to be focusing on a specific crime case that used fingerprints as a piece of evidence and then eventually used uh, the fingerprints to solve the crime case. So the crime case that we will be talking about today is the Timothy Wilson Spencer case. Um, I have a friend on here as well. Her name is Morgan and she is going to listen to this case while we are talking and then at the end of this, I'm going to ask her a few questions. Have you ever wanted to listen to different podcasts that involve crazy crime cases? Or have you ever just been in the mood to listen to an interesting podcast? Well, you've come to the right place because on Spotify, you can listen to crazy crime cases for free. That's right, I said for free. And you now never have to worry about choosing a podcast that is uninteresting again. Some amazing crime case podcasts on Spotify are The Crimecasters, Hometown Killers, The Felonious Files, Not Your Average Bedtime Stories, Crime Satellite, Snakes in Disguise, Bad Apples, Snakes, and Darkness Within the Shadows. These specific podcasts can be used as a great way to pass time while driving, exercising, mowing, or doing anything that may allow you to listen to something. Spotify is an amazing platform with so many functions. If you prefer to listen to your podcast without advertisement, like this one, then you can pay for the monthly subscription starting at $9.99, but if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off your first three months of listening. If you choose not to pay for the monthly subscription, then suck it up, Buttercup. You better get used to my voice now because you'll be hearing it in every single podcast that you're trying to listen to. Either way, Spotify is the best platform to listen to in amazing crime cases happening all over the world. Make sure not to miss out on Spotify's amazing podcast episodes. Before we get into the podcast, this is a warning that the content we will be talking about is viewer discretion advised. The content will be talking about cruel violence along with sexual and physical assault that may disturb some viewers. So to start off, I'm going to give you guys just a little bit of background information and knowledge of Timothy Spencer and just the overview of the case so you guys kind of have more of an idea when we're talking about it. So he was an American serial killer, um, a.k.a. the Southside Slayer. He was born March 17, 1962. He's located in Arlington County, Virginia, USA. Um, he was 35-year-old resident of Richmond, Virginia. He raped and strangled over five people. Um, it was believed to be six women and one man. Um, the known victims are Carolyn Ham, Debbie Dublade Davis, who was 35, Dr. Susan Helms, Diane Cho, who was a teenager, and Susan Tucker, who was 44. So the rapes and murders started in January of 1984, and they did not end until 1987. Um, so he was convicted by DNA fingerprinting evidence, and he was the first victim to be convicted based on DNA evidence in Virginia. So he was arrested on January 20th, 1988, um, he was earned the death sentence in 1988 as well, 
and then he was later executed on April 27, 1994. So currently, the big picture of this case is that 35-year-old Timothy Spencer murdered five-plus people. It was believing to be seven. Um, he's a very violent man. He was crazy, serial killer. Um, even his uh, AKA name, the Southside Slayer, that just kind of gives you guys a little bit of an idea um, of how he was known. And so as we get further into the podcast, we will be talking more about the victims, uh, the crimes that occurred, and what happened after Timothy Spencer was arrested. So now I'm going to start talking in depth about the case and all of the events that occurred. So to start off, the year was 1984. So the first person that Timothy murdered, um, her name was Carolyn Ham. So this all occurred in Arlington, Virginia. She was tied up, raped, and hung in the doorway entry to her own garage. Her body was found nude and face down. Uh, there was a cord cut from her blinds on the floor and her bathrobe was laying on the living room floor, and there was also a knife found on the floor. So a little bit about the victim, Carolyn Ham. She was a lawyer. She lived alone, and that right there uh, just tells you how successful and hardworking she was and knowledgeable as well. I mean, she was a lawyer, so she had to be a little bit smart. Uh, so the neighborhood that she lived in was not a crime-high neighborhood at all. Uh, therefore, murder was very, very rare. Um, so this case was then obviously very much talked about. An arrest and confusion was actually made very quickly after this murder had happened. And then eventually the authorities found out that the confession was incorrect. Uh, we will obviously be talking about that a little bit more um, when we get a little further into this podcast. So about three years later, a very similar murder had happened in the exact same neighborhood. So the date was December 1st, 1987. The victim's name was Susan Tucker. So Susan was 44 years old. She was found laying on her bed. She was nude, but was uh, being partially covered by a sleeping bag. So when the authorities found her, she had already been dead for several days. Um, so just like Carolyn Ham's case, Susan Tucker was found with rope cut from the blind. So... Like, right there just kind of tells you that it had to be the same person because somebody, like, cut the rope off of the blind where you, like, pull it down. So, the rope was tied around her arms and neck. Um, based on the evidence collected from the scene, she was raped and strangled as well. Uh, these two cases were very similar. There was multiple bodily fluid stains found on each of the bodies. Uh, the killer broke into each of the houses from the back through a first floor window. Both of the victims' purses were also dumped out on the floor. So Joe Horgaz, Horgaz, I'm not quite really sure how to pronounce that, but so he was a detective signed to uh, the Susan Tucker case, and so throughout his investigation, uh, he realized that just over a hundred mile radius from Richmond, Virginia, there were three more similar cases to these two cases. Um, so the three other murders all took place in 1987. So on September 19th, 1987, the victim Debbie Davis was found. Debbie was 35 years old. She was found with her hands tied. And based on the evidence that was found, Debbie was strangled slowly. 
the strangle she was strangled by a sock that was tied around her neck and was then twisted extremely tight. Uh, there were also bodily fluids found on her body as well. Uh, so Debbie lived alone and she lived in a first floor apartment building. Um, just two weeks after the death of Debbie Davis, uh, only about a half a mile away, Dr. Susan Helms was found uh, dead. When she was found, uh, she was found in her bedroom closet. So she was dead in her bedroom closet, and that's just kind of really weird. So when she was found, her hands were tied. There were multiple bodily fluids stained, like found on her body and the carpet. Uh, she was strangled with a belt. And then the next case uh, that happened in Richmond, Virginia, was in a suburb. And this one might touch more hearts than others because this victim was Diane Cho, who was only 15 years old. So, I mean, the other ones obviously touch others' hearts, but this girl was only 15. So, just from a teenage sp standpoint, the murderer was like didn't care at all, just felt the need to do whatever to all ages of women. So she was murdered in her bedroom. Um, her parents and brother were sleeping in the other room at the time, and this is a parent's worst nightmare for sure. Um, her hands were tied. There was tape found over her mouth. She was strangled with a rope, and there was a piece of duct tape across her mouth. I already said that. Uh, she was strangled raped uh, there were bodily fluid stains found on her bed sheets um just like the other cases above um so detective joe horgas definitely did his job um it was very difficult to be able to identify and link crime cases together but uh detective horgas did do that so by linking all of these crime cases together this allowed him to gather more information and get more clues about who the killer may be so there was another rape uh case that happened close to these cases as well um this one ended a little differently so a woman got woken up very early in the morning to find a black man standing over her uh, in his hands was a knife, and he was wearing a ski mask. He made her drink Southern Comfort, uh, which was a strong alcoholic drink. Um, rapists do this because sometimes they, uh, it makes them almost feel as if they're on a date. It makes them feel that whatever they're about to do is normal because they're victims like drinking. So it puts like this made-up image in their mind that what they're doing is okay which is very wrong on a lot of levels. Um, so he threatened her and taunted her for about three hours. And during the three hours, um, I mean, she was like, I mean, I'm sure her head was just going in all different directions. She thought she was going to die. But close to the end of the three hours, her uh, upstairs neighbors woke up and finally, well, they finally woke up after three hours and then they heard all the screaming that was going on. So they came down to try to figure out what was going on. And then before they could figure out more information or like catch the guy, uh, the rapist quickly left before killing his victim. Uh, this woman's name was not released. Um, so it's kind of an unknown so, there was also a fourth Arlington rape that had happened. 
the victim had tape over her mouth, just like Diane Cho did. Uh, she was also tied up, and the victim had escaped while the rapist was cutting a cord. So we have two victims that have escaped. Um, this victim's name is also unknown. Uh, I don't know if they just did that, just... They didn't want to release much information of themselves. You know, that's a very personal thing. And knowing that this is going to, like, kind of blow up, I can totally understand where they're getting that from. So now we are going to talk about how Timothy Spencer was convicted on these murders. So to start off, Detective Joe Horgaz, he made up a theory of what was happening going on um as a detective i'm sure that most of them do that just because you kind of want to put all your pieces together and have some somewhat of a theory so in his theory um horgas he did not have every blank filled obviously because this was a theory they didn't know who did it you can't fill the blanks without knowing the facts and if they knew the facts then the guy would already be in jail but they didn't um so one of the things is that he did not understand the reasoning behind the timings of the murders because they were so spread out um, and inconsistent, but they were also similar. So in that way, he just had a sense like he knew that they were tied in together somehow. So when Timothy Spencer was finally convicted of committing the murders, all of the blanks were filled and the reasoning behind the timings of the murders made so much more sense. So there was a break in the murders because Timothy Spencer was serving a prison term for burglary. Um... Obviously, this would have caused him to not be able to murder people uh, because he was in jail. So when he was released, he lived in a house in Richmond. So the murders and rape sons started back up soon after he was released. Uh, authorities did get kind of suspicious about this. They didn't have evidence or anything, but they definitely did get suspicious and started investigating a little bit more. So the time and location sequence of all the crimes did match up perfectly with Spencer's activities, but they could not use any of this evidence to convict him because it, it wasn't enough. Like, they, it, they just didn't have enough. They didn't have more facts uh, behind it. So Detective Joe Horgas had to do a lot of convincing convincing when it came to persuading the people that timothy spencer is a major suspect and uh even the killer so finally when everyone became more convinced and they did more researching fascinate they just became absolutely fascinated by this um so they did some forensic testing so as we talked about in the previous cases there were bodily fluid stains found um on at the crime scenes so there were multiple hairs recovered as well but they did not belong to the victims and there was also fingerprints found at some of these crime scenes um so they did some testing as i said and the dna in the bodily fluids matched the dna taken from spencer's blood samples so they did some comparing there and that checked off the list um, that it matched, and then the multiple hairs found and recovered from the crime scene matched Spencer's underarm hairs, so that also checked off. And then the fingerprints found at the crime scenes um, also matched Timothy Spencer's, so that is a huge check because that can be individualized um, from just any standpoint. 
So with all of this evidence connecting to Timothy Spencer, there was now enough evidence to convict him. So then he was finally arrested on January 20th, 1988. So the conviction of Timothy Spencer was very clear. So after he was arrested, um, obviously before that, all of the evidence matched up and connected back to him. The fingerprints uh, were a huge piece of evidence that individually could have convicted Spencer of his actions. Um, they did not previously convict him before just because it was not full fingerprints that were found. It was more of half, but some of them were dirty, but it was much easier to compare them to Spencer's when they actually had Spencer's full fingerprint right beside it. Um, so we also talked about the false confession earlier in this podcast. So it was the fingerprint analysis matching Timothy Spencer's that the false confession was then identified wrong. Uh, why it was a false confession, we don't know. It, uh, why anybody would do that, it just kind of matched up that way. And that poor guy just was in jail for no reason. Um, I want to guess, though, that he had some, like, some criminal record because you don't just pick a good guy off the street and say, you're going to go in jail for them because we don't know anything. So there's definitely more information behind that. Um, not any that we did any research on for this podcast. So, But with the hair analysis and blood samples matching up to Spencer as well, um, it just helped back up the fingerprint evidence too. So then on September 22nd, 1988 in Richmond, Virginia, Timothy Spencer was found guilty of rape, burglary, and capital murder. Um, so during Spencer's trial, he was earned the death penalty uh, the death sentence, and Timothy Spencer was then executed on April 27th, 1994, by electrocution. So, after all of the theories and all the evidence and the cases and the researching and the back and forths, everything was finally finalized. So Timothy Spencer was a murderer of the seven people that we talked about. Um, but we only kind of got more in-depth about the ones that we knew about, um, the known victims. So all of this may not have happened if Spencer was not put in prison for burglary in the first place. So when he was put in prison for burglary in the first place, the murders then stopped, and then he got out of prison, and the murders continued, and this was a huge eye-opener for the authorities, especially uh, Detective Joe Horgas. Um, if this didn't happen, then the authorities may not have caught Timothy Spencer for a much longer time. Um, I know it was already, like, a three-year span, but, I mean, there could have, it could have been way longer, um, which could have then resulted in more deaths and rapes of people, um, just more sadness overall. So another thing about this case that many people could argue about is obviously a huge, huge, huge debate still in this country today uh, is the death penalty, if it's an okay thing for the government allowed or if it's not an okay thing. Um, so this is just a huge debate today. Um, I can leave you thinking about the death penalty or I can leave you thinking about, like, why wouldn't the authorities have done something 
sooner with the fingerprints, just some of the unknowns. Um, But overall, this case was very choppy, I would say, just with him going into jail and then everything stopped and then started back up again. But at the end of the day, he was convicted. Um, He was sentenced to death. And we know that these cases then finally came to a close. Um, Maybe some closure for um, the families of the victims as well. Now I'm going to be asking Morgan a few questions about this crime case. So the first question is, what are your overall thoughts on this case? My overall thoughts on this case was that it was very planned out by the steps that he was taking in the way that he was going about his killings. Um, It does bring up a lot of questions that I have, such as like his past experiences that may have um, started his journey as a serial killer um, or something that like would trigger these killings to start and why such a wide variety of victims. He was targeting anybody from 15 um, into their 40s. Okay. And the second question is, if you could ask Timothy Spencer one question, what would it be and why? I think that I would ask Timothy what his overall motive was, uh, why he was killing the way that he was killing, the victims that he's chosen, what started um, the killings to start, kind of all the questions that I had to begin with um, on my initial thoughts. Okay, and the third question is, what are your overall thoughts on the death penalty, and do you think that Timothy Spencer deserved the death penalty? Mm, Good question. So, in my views, I don't like seeing anybody on death row. However, with that being said, I feel that individuals on death row have been proven guilty through the evidence collected, and it does take many months to develop... um, the evidence and the decision was not taken lightly to place that individual on death row. So people on death row, I feel they've committed very serious crimes and psychologically cannot be reverted back into the society safely. Uh, I think that it's probably in the best interest of the inmate, other victims, uh, families, and people in the society to have a death penalty in place for inmates. Um, And another aspect of that is that it does cost money through citizen tax dollars to keep people in prison. So I would rather see my tax dollars be used on inmates who are one day able to be in society safely and not inmates who are psychologically disturbed and have committed horrible crimes they don't feel sorry for and may pose a threat to society if they're released. Um, So just knowing what I know from Timothy's case, I think that he did deserve the death penalty. Alrighty, well, that is a wrap-up on this interview. Thank you so much, Morgan, for taking the time out of your day to be in my podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast called Crime and the Science Behind It All. Make sure to turn on the post notification so you'll be notified whenever I release the next episode. I hope you all have a great rest of your week and are safe and healthy for the holidays coming up. I can't wait to share the next crime case with you all.